1: Greetings Buff fans from See You at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website, and now your host for the See You at the Game podcast. As a reminder, you can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and other sites which carry quality podcasts. Hit the subscribe button, and if you would like, give us a rating and a review. This is the first season for the podcast, so, your input and comments are much appreciated. This episode is our monthly mailbag podcast. In a few moments, I will be joined by Brad, and we will discuss a number of topics suggested by you. We'll take a look at the CU recruiting class of 2021, where it stands, and what prospects are still out there in CU sites. We will discuss some of the options being bandied about for the Pac 12's spring schedule and then pivot to the question of whether the Pac-12 canceled fall sports too quickly. Then, just for fun, Brad will get a chance to take a look at my top 10 games and my top 10 players of the past 40 years and let us know which games and or players, in his opinion, should have been ranked higher. It's a fun half hour of CU football coming during a week when we would otherwise have been talking about the CU opener in Fort Collins against the CSU Rams. I hope that the next half hour will give you a little bit of a football fix as we all press on into the fall without buff football. Okay, I'm here with Bradford Geiger from Highlands Ranch. How are you doing today, Bradford?
0: Doing well. It was one of those glorious August days in Colorado where the sunshine was beautiful and the wind had finally blown the smoke from the fires out of the Denver area, and uh, my golf game, with notable exceptions, was pretty good.
1: Okay. Well, very happy to hear about the golf game. Um, Brad is one of our star players on our team, which doesn't take much to be a star player on our team when we're talking about the Buffs for Life Golf Tournament. Um, Just to put in a plug for that, The tournament is normally the last weekend in June. It got postponed to October 5th. It is going to be taking place. And because of the change in date and there being no football that weekend, it was going to be one of the home games. They're still looking for teams. So if you want to register or donate or just get more information, it's Buffs for Life with the number four, buffsforlife.org. It's a very good organization. So I hope you check it out. So, we will be playing. I am going to play some golf this weekend to try and catch up so I can contribute to the team. But we're here to talk a little bit about Buff football, and we've got some questions that were emailed to us. And, Brad, I'll let you start off with the first one.
0: Well, and this is, of course, right in your wheelhouse. Hollywood asks, how many scholarships do we have for this class? Which positions and players do you believe we will target with remaining grants? And uh, this is perhaps even more of a moving target than usual, Stuart.
1: Yes. We don't know what the eligibility issue is going to be in terms of how many additional scholarships teams are going to be allowed to have. Currently, C only has eight seniors, which would make for a very small class and still might make for a very small class for the recruiting class of 2021. However, we might have a lot more players on the team, so we'll just have to see how that shakes out because CU has 25 juniors on the team, which is an exceptionally large class. And the way the rules are playing out right now, they could play next spring. They could play again in the fall of 2021 and still have a senior season in the fall of 2022. So, would you like to have three more seasons of Alex Fontenot, four linemen, including Colby Purcell, William Sherman, Terrence Lang, Carson Wells, Chase Newman, Isaiah Lewis, Chris Miller, uh, have three more seasons with those players. So, it, the junior class is setting up really well, especially if we get to see him for three more years. But, the question we're being asked is how many scholarships are there and how, are that, how is that going to play out with this class? Well, currently there are 83 players on the roster, scholarship players on the roster, and only eight seniors. So that math tells us with an 85 scholarship limit that we're only going to be allowed to have 10 scholarships. However, all college football fans know that there's attrition, whether players want to transfer out, whether they don't fit the scheme, especially when you're dealing with new coaching staffs, or they just don't feel that they're going to get playing time there's too many people ahead of them on the depth chart and they'd rather transfer out just to get to a place where they can play. So best guess right now, probably a class of 16 to 18, probably no less than 15, probably no more than 20. Now, as far as what CU can still take, currently CU has 14 commitments and assuming all 14 of them still sign with CU, there's a quarterback, a tight end, two wide receivers, one offensive lineman, three defensive linemen, an inside linebacker, a cornerback, three safeties, and a kicker. Now, where those additional scholarships will go, your guess is as good as mine, Hollywood. CU actually offered a punter. already got a scholarship offer out and a commitment from a kicker, but apparently CU is offering a punter, so cleaning up on special teams. But... The glaring gaps to me right now would be at running back. Most teams, just like with quarterbacks, you always want to have one on the roster for every class, simply because, again, there's transition, players get injured. And outside linebacker, there are no commits there. Again, with defensive linemen, the way formations work now, you get some defensive linemen that could be outside linebackers, the star position. There's a lot of fluidity there, if that's a word. And offensive lineman, you want to have more than one commit on along the offensive line so for me it would probably be offensive line defensive line and running back and of course with CU having as much problem with attrition and injuries we've had it along the defensive backfield I'm always up for more cornerbacks how about you Brad where would you like to go or where do you see the scholarship class of 2021 for the University of Colorado
0: well i I'm always believe in building from the inside out. And the bottom line is it just takes time to build offensive line, And there is always nutrition attrition there. They don't get big enough. They don't get strong enough or they get hurt. So, you know, a couple more big uglies would be very valuable to me. I think when you are beginning recruiting, I think, Picking up offensive linemen who you can develop, where I think coaching perhaps matters as much as
1: any place in college football, is always a good thing. Yeah, and Mel Tucker, for better or for worse, is many times we have to say that name without spitting, he was recruiting the big uglies. He was doing well in the trenches in terms of recruiting, finishing off the class of 2019, and then the class of 2020 has some really quality recruits um, in the offensive line and in the defensive line, and hopefully that trend will continue. Uh, Moving on, we got a couple of questions here. Uh, i got one from Mike S. for you, Brad, and this is some stuff that was on the CO2 Game website. From the poll, which of the following spring options would you like best for the Pac-12? Option one would be eight or nine conference games, playing conference games only. In other words, pretty much transitioning for what was planned for the fall and just putting it into the spring. Option two would be pods. There would be pods, Northwest pod, California pod, and then a mountain pod. So Colorado would be in the mountain pod along with Utah and the Arizona schools. The idea being there, you'd have six games. You do a home and home with Utah and a home and home with each of the Arizona schools. And then Brian Howell from the Boulder Daily Camera also proposed a six-game schedule. His idea was to play the six Pac-12 South rivals and then one crossover game from the North with ones against ones. Colorado, most people don't remember this, especially the preseason magazines, but Colorado was fifth last year, not sixth. Arizona was sixth in the standings, which would pit then Colorado against the fifth-place team from the North, which would be the Pac-12 foes of Washington State. So, Brad, of the three options, Mike would like to know which of those options you would prefer. Well, first of
0: all, my preference is whatever schedule can be played safely, which to me kind of rules out the eight or nine conference games. I think that is a lot to try to throw together in the spring when it's never been done, where you're bridging that many states and trying to figure out safe travel and safe bubbles. I suspect the safest is the pod system, although the idea of home-and-home home games, while lovely in basketball, seems inappropriate for football and lovely less interesting. So if I had to root, I like Brian Howell's idea. I think maintaining the Pac-12 South has some tradition to it. I don't know that it would be quite as successful for CU, but that's the one I am rooting for. I think it can start a little later in the season, and a six-game season remains a season that perhaps could be put together in an appropriate way.
1: Well, oddly enough, I actually would agree with you. I think of those three options, playing the South teams and one crossover game, if it's going to be a six-game schedule, makes the most sense, again, like you say, in terms of having something at least resembling a regular season where you understand where you stand within your peer group in the South Division and then one crossover game and maybe then you'd have the champions meet in Las Vegas or something like that. As far as how it's going to play out for CU, I don't know if you saw that the Big Ten was talking about playing dome stadiums. You know, the play in the Hoosier Dome or whatever, the RCA Dome, Indianapolis, playing up at uh, the, whatever it's the Silver Dome is named nowadays up in Michigan, even Syracuse and other options. Um, so you don't have to play outside in January and February in Michigan, which does have some attractions to it. Of course, the pac doesn't have that option. I don't think outside of like the Kibbe Dome in Idaho, Pocatello has a dome. Northern Arizona had a dome, but these are small stadiums comparatively. The one thing that I would look for, and I'm afraid that it's going to happen, when they finally get around to announcing a schedule, you should look for Colorado and Utah to be on the road the first couple of games simply because if you have the option of playing in January or February in Arizona or in Colorado and Salt Lake City, they're probably going to try their best to have all the home games be in Southern or more temperate areas. So Washington state, Colorado and Utah are probably going to get the, the fuzzy end of the lollipop when it comes to scheduling, at least at the beginning that in all likelihood, Colorado is going to open up on the road, but I'm with you. If we could actually get to the point where we could have games and that means we're going to open up on the road against USC, then so be it. Well,
0: I mean, that you could have a glorious sunny day
1: in January.
0: Yes, this is but true. that's not the way to bet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you have a choice, as you said, of Phoenix or Tucson or LA, those are the choices that have to be made. That's just the reality. Yeah. You, you cannot work this
1: hard to have a schedule where you then get a 10-7 game in a blinding snowstorm in Boulder in January. Although might get good ratings, especially, you know, if we're not having to be there. They have a a crowd of, you know, 3,000 or whatever's allowed or 10,000 students, and we get to stay home and watch it on TV. Not great for Carl Durrell, but, you know, not a problem for us because we won't be there anyway. So, um,
0: John Wilmer, as always, had an interesting take on the Pac-12. He wrote an article making an interesting argument that, the PAC-12 moved too quickly. Now, and it's a well-thought-out argument because it's not the, well, like the SEC where we just pretend the coronavirus is going to go away or not to be a big deal. It's that the PAC-12 presidents put themselves in a situation to make the decision too soon and to not fully know what was going on with the virus in Arizona or California or even Colorado. What did you think of John's speculation or thought process, Stuart?
1: First, uh, just a uh, tip of the cap. The uh, email came from Missing Football in Boulder, um, <laughs> which is as uh, we all a nice a nice name for an email address. <laughs> well, I think you know again, Wilner's point was that the Pac-12 wanted to play, you know, a nine-game schedule and announced the nine-game schedule when he's saying, well, maybe you should have held off on announcing the schedule to give yourself more time so you have more options down the road. Yeah, it it could have been postponed a couple of weeks. I mean, we could have just had it postponed this week and we would be in no different situation other than the fact that the teams would have actually been able to open fall camp or at least Colorado would. I'm not sure where the California schools are at this point. They were at the point fairly recently and probably still are where they couldn't have any indoor weight training. They had to do it outside and they weren't allowed to have, you know, groups of more than 10 or 12 or things like that. So they would not have been able to practice. But my purely selfish CU side, I feel for Carl Durrell and the staff because they were one week away from the start of spring ball when they pulled the plug back in March And they were one week away from the start of fall camp when they pulled the plug here in August. Nine of the 12 teams in the Pac-12 got at least some, up to half of their spring practices in. And Colorado got exactly zero with a brand new head coach. So from a purely selfish point of view, it would have been nice if they waited until even this week to pull the plug and let the University of Colorado have two weeks of fall camp and two weeks of practices and two weeks of seeing how they can interact and how their testing would work. And, oh, by the way, two weeks of film for the coaches and players to look at over the next four months as we wait for 2021 to fall. So I understand the point. And again, it's six of one half dozen of the other. The pac is going to do what it's going to do and the Big Ten is going to do what it's going to do. I don't know if you saw that eight players from Nebraska decided to sue the Big Ten. Does make you wonder what the other 77 scholarship players think about that. It might be 78 scholarship players because one of the eight players that signed on to this lawsuit was the long snapper. And I'm not sure if (sighs) he's even on scholarship, but Nebraska will be Nebraska. You know, the same day that they had players saying they were going to sue the conference, they laid off 51 or furloughed 51 employees in the athletic department. And this is a Big Ten school that's getting $50 million a year in media rights revenue. So, yeah, uh, I understand where Willner's coming from. He kind of hedged his bet a little bit. You know, he said, did the president's move too soon? Absolutely not, and quite possibly yes. So it's a good article. I'll post a link to it on the website. It's been up there for a couple of days, but I'll I'll bump it up again if people want to take a look at it and decide for yourself what you think of what Wilner has to say because he is one of the best-informed and best-connected sports writers in the Pac-12. But that kind of transitions us to kind of the national question. Kevin in Denver asked, Schools said they wouldn't have players, meaning football players, on campus if they couldn't have students on campus. Now they're talking about how great it is to have players in a bubble even without students on campus and his uh quote was hypocrisy much so what would you take on kevin's question and or comment that we got
0: well i you know of course shockingly there is some hypocrisy in college football and it wasn't always the same people saying those same things big 10 Presidents, at least, were talking about college football being part of the campus environment and that the two had to go together. I don't think I recall anybody from the SEC making that strong an argument. (laughs) But, of course, there is some level of back and forth on this. We have to maintain, and the NCAA wants to maintain, this position that football players are students that they are there to be part of the student body and student environment, and that to put them separate is to break down that fundamental concept of scholarship athlete. Now, you are free to have an opinion about how realistic that viewpoint is, if they even really believe it, but it is unquestionably the premise that underlines the entire existence of the NCAA. So when people were saying, listen, we're going to have our players treated like the regular students. That was consistent with this mythology. We've built those, now that we have seen, now that we are seeing, I think I saw a stat that the University of Alabama had more positive tests last week than the country of Canada. (laughs) Now that we're seeing that kind of information, well, then, of course, suddenly – their football players are safer being just in their football bubble and avoiding the uh, the college students. The, the reality was always that sending a bunch of young people to large public universities had the potential for vast spread of the virus. And that was going to always include college football players because no one expected the college football players were going to be 100% compliant with their bubble. And it has not worked out in many other places where football teams have seen outbreaks, in large part because it doesn't take every player to blow it. One or two players who does not comply with the rules and goes to a party and then comes back and participates in very close contact with the other players can spread it and... So while coaches are, of course, talking out of both sides of their mouth, we're surprised, they're trying to get the game they love and the game that to give them the benefit of the biggest doubt and the game that they feel truly benefits players going. And so are we going to hear more than one inconsistent position? Of course. Is it hypocrisy? Yes. Are any of us surprised? Probably
1: not. Yeah. And just... uh. Put the quotes in there for everyone. This was the Big 12 commissioner, Bob Bowlesby. Uh, this is back in April. Our players are students. If we're not in college, we're not having contests. Our message was we need to get universities and colleges back open and that we were education-based programs and we're going to have sports until we have something closer to normal college going on. And the Notre Dame athletic director, Jack Swarbrick at the time, said, it's just hard to figure out how you can say, we believe the campus isn't safe for our student body. And, oh, we're going to bring back one group of students. So, yeah, that was the hypocrisy. That's what they were saying in April when they sent everybody home and saying, we're not going to have this unless we're not going to have football unless we can have safety for all of our students. And our student-athletes are, in fact, students. So, yeah, not a surprise. And, yeah, there is certainly some merit to the argument of having watched the NBA, watching the Major League Baseball, NHL, you know, trying these bubbles and getting some success at those types of atmospheres. But then, of course, you get into, well, they're paid athletes um, and they have an option of earning a paycheck doing this whereas we're telling college students that they're not getting paid, but you're going to do it anyway. Um, And, of course, all the schools have given the players, you know, a pass on opting out, unless, of course, you play for Nick Rolovich at Washington State and get your conversation recorded. But that's, you know, a different thing altogether. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. I mean, there is certainly a level. Of excitement, just being able to talk about SEC football or ACC football or Big 12 football, just to have somebody playing something is exciting. But whether or not it's actually going to happen remains to be seen with all of the students coming back, having the tests, and probably going to have some significant impact. NC State has already postponed their first game due to their situation that they have in North Carolina. So they were a month away from their first game, or at least several weeks away from the first game, and already postponed it to one of the open dates that the ACC allowed for. So we'll have to just wait and see if we actually have football in the fall. If that turns out to be the case, then we're going to have a lot of pundits laughing at the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And if it doesn't happen, then everyone's going to be talking about how we can try and make a spring season work well let's let's finish this on a high note or at least a more happy note in terms of memories john p had a question specifically for brad thoughts on stewart's top five or top 10 if you prefer which on the list would you change slash add slash delete and he's referencing i did my top 40 of the past 40 this is my 40th year of being a CU fan, thank you for that. Happy anniversary. And just if you haven't been to the website, it's still up there on the website, my, and there's links to all 40 games and my top 40 players. It's been counting down since March. We finally got to number one this past week. My number one game, so you can hear what Brad thinks about my top five. My number one game was the 1986 CU game, 20 to 10 victory over Nebraska number two was the 2001 win over nebraska of course that's the 62-36 game number three was the national championship win number one colorado 10 number five notre dame nine number four was the miracle in michigan the 1994 game with the catch and my number five game was the 1990 win over nebraska which was the 27-12 win in lincoln with eric b scoring four touchdowns in the fourth quarter so brad those are my top five games of the last 40 years um, you've only been at it for 39 but for some reason my 1980 season when c went one and ten and lost to drake none of those games made it into the top five for some reason so i'm going with what are your top five of the last 39 years
0: Watched with bated breath and tried to figure out where I was going to disagree with you on this, and I can't fight it, to be very honest with you. You're absolutely 100% correct about number one. 2010 was the biggest win for Colorado football as long as I've been following Colorado football, because that team should not have beaten that Nebraska team, and that team was the first to believe that we could continue to beat Nebraska. And without that win, without that moment, without that belief, none of the rest of the other games exist. Is the short of version of it. It is easy to overstate one game and you know, there are so many wonderful personal stories in that, including the fact that I was taking corporations class from the literal toughest professor <laughs> in the CU law. Professor School, Hill renowned for literally making students cry, but who was also a valid and virulent Nebraska fan who walked in on Monday morning to twenty ten written on the blackboard and graciously acknowledged that we had CU had kicked Nebraska. And then sadly, as to the top five, it would be quibbling, I suspect, i right, to start. More. I think perhaps number eight, the, uh, the Big 12 championship against Texas, could be somewhat higher. Perhaps I would move it over number eight, over number seven. But the top five are simply ones that you cannot challenge. One is a national championship. One is the miracle at Michigan. Now, you can say that that year did not turn out the way we might have hoped it was, but for a single game, there is nothing you can compare that to. The number five and six are so very close, it's very challenging to figure out which one that's going to be. But watching Biennemi come back, have the half he had against Nebraska, and then come back in the fourth quarter and play the way he did, this is truly nitpicking. Each of the top 10 games should be there, and each of them mattered deeply and greatly for the football program during those years when we had success. So, while I might nitpick a couple of ups and downs, there, you got it right. That's just the way this worked out.
1: Yeah. Well, this wasn't part of the email, but I'm going to ask you anyway, so you aren't prepared for this, but out of my top 5 players. And my top 5 were Eric Bienemy, Darian Hagan, Cordell Stewart, Philip Lindsay, and Alfred Williams. Is there anyone there that you would rank higher or that you would move around? I'll give you the I'll give you the 6 through 10 and you want to, maybe you tell me if anyone 6 through 10 would move into your top 5. Number 6 was Dan Graham, Daniel Graham tight end. Number 7 was Paul Richardson. Number eight was Barry Remington, still the all-time leading tackler in Colorado history. Number nine, running back Rashawn Salam, and number 10, Michael Westbrook. So any of those that you would move in or anybody that's outside of that list of 10 that you would put into the top 10 of your top I think a very
0: strong question has to be asked why Rashawn Salam, who had the greatest single season, perhaps for any offensive player at CU, is not higher on the list. You now Career-wise, as much as I admire Philip Lindsay, I don't know that his accomplishments in my mind exceed those of Rashawn Salam. I personally, my number one would have been Darian Hagan because I think for what he played and what he did, he was not the most talented player that we ever had, but his leadership was integral, indeed indispensable. We've had this discussion the most talented player I ever saw play at CU was Alfred Blames. Yeah. in terms of ability to just demolish an offense to have to actually play around him and to plan around him. Alfred was at his best better than anybody that hasn't played at CU in my time. So I think those arguments can be made. I was talking to a friend of mine who played for Oklahoma State during some of those years, and uh, he believes Joel Steed should have been much higher up. He said Joel Steed was one of the hardest players he ever had to face oh. on the interior line. And Joel yes. perhaps did not get as much credit as some, you know, his, his was not the glamorous position, but he could uh, occupy two offensive linemen and occasionally three. So those would be, again, my quibbles on that. There would be very little that I would not like to go back and watch about Eric the enemy
1: running the ball, however. Yeah. So great Buffs. It's nice to be a fan of the Buffs, and I'm posting there is a compilation put together by Buffs TV of the 1990 season and various highlight packages. And I'll post that on the website if you want to, Go back and relive the nineteen ninety season and have uh, some football. Um, I have to admit, when they've been doing Pac twelve networks, I taped some of the games, the CU games. Um, They were playing back from last year and from the twenty sixteen season, and it's nice to get a little bit of a fix of football. So if you have the opportunity, since the Pac twelve networks, I don't know if you saw that they've gone on basically on hiatus. They laid off almost everybody. So pretty much the Pac-12 Networks is going to be reruns for the next four months. No original programming. They let go Mike Yam, who was I thought was a very good host. So there will probably be other opportunities to watch CU Highlights. The Pac-12 and 60, you can watch some of those games in an hour and get your fix over the next four months. One little last reminder before I let everybody go, let Brad go. I am going to be doing a game-by-game season for Colorado starting September 5th. We're going to pretend that we have our normal schedule with CSU, the opener, on September 5th. I'm going to be doing game stories. I'm going to be doing locker room quotes and game notes and doing the whole thing and publishing it every week just like those games were being played. So you can follow along, see if you agree with how I would see the games playing out. And my analysis and my opinions of the buffs in the uh, what is now a fictitious fall 2020 calendar. So Bradford, once again, thank you. We will do again a mailbag in September. If you have questions or comments, or you'd like to have your question on the next mailbag, it's just see you at the game at gmail.com, and your comments and questions are always. Welcome, because you are a part of the Buff Nation. If you're listening to a Buff podcast in August of 2020, you are definitely a fan. So thank you for being here, and my thanks to Brad. And it looks like I'll be seeing you the weekend of October 5th. Looking forward to it. Go Buffs! Thanks for checking in with the See you at the Game podcast. While the Buffs are not on the field of play this fall, It doesn't mean you can't enjoy CU football. The Boulder Daily Camera is running a pair of series to keep fans engaged. One is a week-by-week review of the national championship season of 1990. The other is a week-by-week review of the most interesting games in CU history played during the week that was. I will be posting from the CU at the Game archives companion pieces to the Cameron's postings. For example, for the week of August 24th to 30th, the camera highlights CU games from 2001, 2003, and 2019. The archives, of course, have game stories and essays to go with those games, so you can relive those games, two of which involve mile-high victories over Colorado State involving lightning delays. For my part, I will also be running a week-by-week special for CU fans, and I hope you're going to enjoy it. I am going to go through the original fall schedule and run hypothetical game stories each week. In addition, I will be tracking every Pac-12 game played this fall, so you can check how CU is faring in the conference standings. This Saturday, September 5th, I will be posting the game story, complete with locker room quotes and game notes from CU's trip to Fort Collins to play the Rams. I hope you will enjoy the Buffs 2020 Season, as much as I am having enjoying putting it together. Until next time, stay well and be safe. Go bus.
0: Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to seeyouatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at the game.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.